We're less than two weeks away from the draft, and the Seahawks have only 52 players on their roster. We're going to be revisiting their needs heading into the draft on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, just nine days away from the 2023 NFL Draft. We'll have plenty of draft talk today, Throwback Tuesday We are going to be debating our top five value picks in the John Schneider era and maybe looking at some projections who we think will be the next value pick that Schneider makes on day three. Plus, we'll be breaking down part of the defensive end edge outside linebacker group. There's so many good ones that we're going to have to split it up over two days. So we're going to look at the edge outside linebackers on today's show. Jam-packed episode, so let's get to it. Now for our lead story here on the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. It's not typical to see a team report for the start of their offseason program and release a number of players, but the Seahawks actually did that on Monday, releasing five players that signed future reserve deals only a few months ago in January. If they had a flooded roster, maybe it would make some more sense, but They now have only 52 players on the roster, Robin. We know that financially, it's not like they are uh, armed with a ton of cap space to fill those vacancies as well. And on one hand, they're going to be able to bring in some rookies. they got 10 draft picks. They're going to be appealing to undrafted players. But on the other hand, this is one of the smallest rosters in the NFL heading towards the draft. They don't have a lot of cap space. And so the big thing that we can take from that is there are no shortage, no shortage of needs on this roster right now. Yeah, no, no shortage of needs, no shortage of job opportunities. Um, you know, to me, it's one of the most interesting things about this. It's just the timing. As you mentioned, uh, you know, now the Seattle only has 52 players uh, on their roster. I mean, wouldn't you actually even be able to, to field a, a full game day roster? That's just kind of uh, unusual for this time of year. Um, and I, I think that it just kind of points out the, the very distinct possibility that, that Seattle is angling all of this to have some significant trade downs. And, you know, I think that the most draft picks we've ever seen in the, the Schneider Carroll era, I believe is 11, maybe 12. If maybe they are looking to completely obliterate that number this year, um, because there just are so many, uh, you know, job opportunities available for this team that, as you mentioned, is, is still up against the cap a little bit. And so is going to be looking for some players on very inexpensive deals and they just don't come much more inexpensive than, of course, via the draft and of course, undrafted free agency. I, I wanted to quickly mention, uh, you know, th- those five players that we had talked about a moment ago that were released, the two wide receivers, Connor Weddington and Issa Winston, um, you know, both good football players, corner Chris Steele, but it was specifically the defensive tackle, Jared Hewitt, as well as the running back, Darwin Thompson, that I want to kind of focus in on because, again, Corbin, it's Seattle's roster really does have some pretty significant holes at this point at running back and a defensive tackle or the defensive line just in general um, it, it is uh, very clear that Seattle is going to have to dedicate several other draft picks to those positions. 
Yeah, you look at the depth chart right now, even before releasing Darwin Thompson and Jared Hewitt, the Seahawks had minimal depth at running back and defensive tackle. Now they've got three healthy defensive tackles in Miles Adams, Draymond Jones, and Jaron Reed. Brian Monet's coming back from a torn ACL. There's a good chance he misses most of the 2023 season. And so we've talked time and time again about the lack of nose tackles. That is still priority number one right now on this roster heading into this draft. They have got to bolster that line. Maybe they'll be able to add a veteran down the line after the draft. But right now, they need to bolster that group with as much young talent as they can. And at running back, I mean, Ken Walker III and DJ Dallas are the only two running backs on the roster. No offense to Nick Ballor, but he is not a running back. He is a fullback maybe 17 plays a year for this team. So they have two running backs on the roster. They normally have six throughout the offseason program, sometimes even seven. And so they are going to be drafting at least one or two players there. And this is going to be a prime opportunity for undrafted players to get a chance to make the Seahawks roster running back as well. And you look across the board, other positions, they've only got six receivers right now after releasing Weddington and Winston. They've got two guards and two centers, so four interior offensive linemen total. They don't have a backup strong safety currently for Jamal Adams, and they don't have a long snapper. So (laughs) there are other positions that you can look at, like corner, where every player is under contract for the next two years minimum, and they're in decent shape there. But they have a number of other spots, including the secondary with the safety spots where you've got some aging players, a couple of them coming off of injuries. There are some question marks there in terms of depth long term. And so this roster's got a lot of holes to fill. And I think it's one of the big reasons why that you and I have both been arguing that, yes, you want to try to plug that defensive line. You want to try to get your running backs, but you also just want to add blue chip talent early on at whatever position that best player available is. Because right now, uh, aside from a position or two, almost every position across the board, they could use a difference maker right now. And that's what happens when you have this shorthanded of a roster in mid-April. No, it absolutely is. And uh, again, if, if you were to put that the roster back up for a moment, and for those of you who are watching on YouTube, then you can see um, the roster as we have it. And again, there's the key on the right that says the players who are injured, the free agent signs, and as well as the, the players who are entering the final year of their current deal with the Seahawks. Uh, you know, you and I, Corbin, have talked a lot about cornerbacks and wide receivers for the Seahawks, but those are the two positions that actually, based on what we're looking at here, um, you can see are are the two most filled out positions for Seattle. Um, and then again, quarterback is potentially um, not necessarily in play either because, of course, you have the two veterans and and, and Geno Smith and Drew Locke and two quarterbacks is all Seattle has kept most years. Um, you know, so that, that's the thing is that it's it seems pretty clear that this is going to be a draft where Seattle is going to have to dedicate a great deal of attention to that defensive line, the, the running back positions, and anything else after that maybe is another safety anything else after that it's almost too much of a luxury for Seattle to dedicate an early pick to you can make an argument at least that it might be too much of a luxury for Seattle to dedicate that first round pick to say a wide receiver like Zay Flowers or Jackson Smith and Jigba or any of these other players that we have kind of talked about a little bit here maybe even at the cornerback position as much as you and I are, are huge fans of whether it be Devon Witherspoon from Illinois or for like a Christian Gonzalez from Oregon whatever 
you know, again, I think you have other holes that, that almost could force Seattle to, to basically maybe even double dip at number five and number 20 with defensive linemen or again, trade down. So I, I agree with you. You have to get great players regardless of position. But at the same time, I also think that the way that Seattle's roster is constructed, it basically says with, with big blinking signs, we're going to have to address these positions and just kind of match them up on uh you know in, in the rounds in terms of who you think are the best fits for the club specifically i was looking back at my notes from the last couple of aprils and seattle has typically had at least 70 to 75 players on the roster in mid-april to have 52 and i said it this way on twitter it is a barren waste wasteland right now across the board i mean you have a few positions that they're well set but I just cannot recall any point in the Schneider Carroll era where they have had this many openings, even when they had the transformation of the roster from 2010 to 2011. I don't think that they had these this many positions. Depth, start two or three players. I mean, this is unprecedented in this administration to have this few of players available. So, it does put some strain on this draft process because you've got to be able to hit on a number of these picks just to make sure that you have enough quality football players available because they're not going to be going out buying a bunch of free agents. They don't have the money to do that. It does create that opportunity, though, for John Schneider and Pete Carroll to really go into recruiting mode with the undrafted players. And they could get some really fun priority undrafted free agents this year because of all those roster openings and the fact that there are multiple positions where an undrafted rookie could come in right now and have a legitimate opportunity to compete for a roster spot. So that would be the positive from it. And they have all these draft picks. So they're going to have a major flurry of activity coming up here in a week and a half. And they're going to be able to fill this roster out. But right now, they barely have more than half of their 90-man roster. It's the lowest I've ever seen. And it does create a very long list of needs, both in the short term and the long term, for this franchise. Coming up next, we're going to bring back Throwback Tuesday. We're going to look back at John Schneider's best value picks in his 13 years at the helm for the Seahawks. We'll have our top five and maybe dish out some early projections for players that we think have a chance to join that list in the future for the Seahawks from this 2023 draft class. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. The NBA playoffs are officially underway. They've been exciting so far. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and three-pointers drained. I'm a huge fan of the player prop parlays, and you can make bets such as Steph Curry going off for 20-plus points in Game 3 against the Sacramento Kings. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers, tomorrow, we're going to be looking at some of the worst value picks that the Seahawks have made under John Schneider, the negative side of the coin, draft history-wise. And we'll be continuing 
our defensive end edge group looking at first rounders, second and third rounders, and of course, the day three gems. Jam-packed episode. You'll want to make sure you don't miss it. Let's get to the best value picks, though. We're going to start positively here. The picks that have made John Schneider one of the more revered general managers in the NFL, his success finding those value picks. Rob, we're going to dish out our top five all-time value picks, and I'm going to give you the mic first, as always, an opportunity for you to explain a little bit your rankings as far as John Schneider's best value picks from round, productivity, Hall of Fame, Pro Bowl, you name it, all those different factors at play. Well, then I've got to just start off with the quarterback that actually helped them win a championship. And that to me is really where the conversation has to start and end, I think. I mean, you can, I realize that Russell Wilson has some stain on him now from a lot of Seahawks fans' perspective and for lots of different reasons. But at the same time, you talk about a, uh, you know, just John Schneider being as um, respected around the NFL as he is. And I would 100% agree with you on that. I think the biggest reason why is because there's a lot of general managers and scouting directors out there, Corbin, who said, oh, yeah, I had Russell Wilson high on my board as well. But there's only one, obviously, and every NFL team had the opportunity to select Russell Wilson that actually did it, and that was Schneider. And and, and so I, I just give him an awful lot of credit for that because anybody who watched the tape could see that Russell was a good player. It just took a great deal of courage to take a very short player. Um, and so I, I, you know, it just had never been done before basically with what CL, um, did. So to me, it's Russell Wilson, number one, um, Richard Sherman, uh, you know, just so much respect for, for two, I think future hall of famers, Russell Wilson and Richard Sherman. Um, and then the list just kind of goes on from there. I mean, it's, it just really is a, uh, you know, an incredible list, whether it be Cam Chancellor, number three, Bobby Wagner, number four, KJ Wright, number five, I, I kind of give some honorable mention to Tyler Lockett. Uh, I think that you could mention some of the recent draft picks as well because there's been some good ones i mean you know Tariq wool and chris carson here just in recent years abe lucas frankly as a third round pick uh you know i i think that you know deserves some credit for what he did as a 16 or 17 game starter 18 if you want to count the the, the, the uh postseason of course there's just not very many guys that that do that um you know so again i, I think that um that john schneider's track record of success speaks for itself and we're just focusing here on the actual draft and what about all those undrafted free agents as well so to me i think that um i'm looking forward to the conversation in tomorrow's episode about some of the worst picks i think it'll be a shorter conversation because i think that again seattle's uh and, and john schneider specifically his track record speaks for itself yeah, I feel like tomorrow that we might have to just put groups of players up for a few of those rankings. We will we will see where that goes. But there's been some trends as far as the bad picks. There's some trends, though, with the positive ones as well. My list is almost the same as yours, Rob, but there are a few differences. I think Richard Sherman's got to be number one in here, and I understand the quarterback weight here. That is the most important position in professional sports and finding a Hall of Fame caliber signal caller like Russell Wilson in the middle of third round. That is a huge deal that has very rarely happened. But you don't see a lot of fifth round corners that come into the league like Richard Sherman that become a starter and then ends up getting 32 interceptions in seven seasons, three first team all pros, a second team all pro, a bunch of Pro Bowls won a Super Bowl, helped get Seattle to the Super Bowl with the tip, the most famous play in franchise history. So 
I think you've got to put him at number one. And quite frankly, at this point, I think that he's viewed a little bit more positive light than what Russell Wilson, and maybe that changes down the line and Wilson will have his chance to get back in good graces with the fans. But I just think Richard Sherman being a fifth rounder in the 150s, that he belongs atop that list. And I agree with you at Chancellor and Wagner at three and four. I have Chancellor ahead because he was a much lower pick. Again, another fifth rounder. I'm looking at value here. Bobby Wagner, though, still a second-round pick to become a Hall of Fame linebacker, a first ballot Hall of Fame linebacker. That is a really big deal. And I decided to put Tariq Woolen on this list right now as a first-year player, a fifth-round pick that nobody thought was ready to jump in as a defensive player in the NFL. We thought he was a project. Most people thought this guy's a project. Pete Carroll thought he was going to be a project. He comes in and makes the Pro Bowl, finishes in the top three in Rookie of the Year balloting, and I think that that voting probably should be examined what happened there, but he finished third overall after leading the NFL with six interceptions. That by itself, that's remarkable value. And my honorable mention, you mentioned him a second ago, Chris Carson. You get 2,000-yard seasons out of a late seventh-round running back that didn't have great productivity at the college level. And if not for injuries, probably had a couple more thousand yard seasons in him before the career ending neck injury. He was one of the most enforcing running backs in the NFL. Defensive players wanted nothing to do with tackling him. And he was a really sound receiver as well. So that rounds out my list. Tyler Lockett could have been on there as well. I thought about Malcolm Smith, a seventh rounder out of USC that was the Super Bowl MVP. I mean, that's pretty good value by itself for a sure. seventh round pick. So there's tons of options, but that's how my list goes. Now, we're going to have some fun building off of this now, looking towards this upcoming draft. We're going to try to see if we can call our shots a little bit right now. And we are going to dish out an offensive player and a defensive player in this upcoming draft class that we think is a day three pick that is going to be the next day three success success story for the Seattle Seahawks. Let's start on the offensive side of the football, Rob. And so I'm going to dish it over to you. Who is the offensive player that you're looking at that has a chance to be that next day three stud for John Schneider and Pete Carroll. Well, and that's what I kind of intrigued me about this particular topic. When we uh, were talking off the air about some ideas, uh, it's just that it's not only picking a future Seahawks draft pick, like, the, like we've done with the offensive or defensive mock drafts, things like that. It's who's going to be a star in the NFL as well, is at least the way I took it. And there's only so many players who I think are going to get selected on day three that are also think have superstar pro bowl kind of caliber talent. And it's a player that you and I both really like, or we've talked about him before. To me, it's Deuce Vaughn, the, the dynamic running back, and I believe soon to be returner in the NFL. Um, I, I think that this guy is just absolutely Darren Sproles part two. Um, you know, he is five, five and 175 pounds. I mean, he is just as short and as squatty as it gets, but he has explosive quickness. He's incredibly strong for his size. I mean, he is just a very, very good player. He is 
difficult to tackle in, in the open field. And, and I just think that, uh, that this is a player that whether it be in Seattle or elsewhere, I have, uh, he's the kind of player I am absolutely banging the table for. Again, I, I understand how, how small he is, but I've just watched him be so successful against top competition, game in, game out, season in, season out. Um, and, and so to me, I think that he fits a lot of the needs that Seattle has. I, I do think that Seattle could use a bigger back as that, uh, you know, kind of go downhill and score some touchdowns. So I I will say this. I consider Dwayne McBride from UAB, another player, again, who I think might be in play for Seattle. But I, I just am in love with, with Deuce Vaughn's game and, and think that he is going to take the NFL by storm. I think we're talking about a future pro bowler. You know me, the former running back, the former running back coach. It would be so easy for me to put any number of running backs up here in Seattle's offense. But I'm actually going to go with a receiver here. And this is a player that we have talked about. At least I've talked about him a lot. And I'm going to keep talking about him because the Seahawks just had him in for a top 30 visit last week. So he is clearly on their radar. And you can understand why. And that is Charlie Jones, the receiver from Purdue. And he's kind of a journeyman from the college level. He played at Buffalo for a couple seasons. Then he was at Iowa for a couple seasons. Never more than 350 receiving yards. And then this past season, he just explodes. Over 1,300 receiving yards, over 100 receptions, 12 touchdowns in the rugged Big Ten, where they don't throw the football quite as much as some of the other big-time conferences. But this guy only had two drops this past season. And I just look at his game. He's not going to create a ton after the catch. That's not his game. He's not going to win vertically. And we know the Seahawks love that from their receivers, but they need a guy that can move the chains. And this guy is a machine when it comes to getting open. He understands what defenses are doing coverage-wise. And even if he's not somebody that's going to create a ton of separation, it doesn't matter. He finds ways to get open, and he has incredibly soft hands, a reliable target. That is the kind of guy Seattle needs to compliment DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I just think he would have a lot of fun catching passes in this offense from Geno Smith. So if he ends up in Seattle, they've got interest. I like the fit for Charlie Jones to be a stud right away in Seattle's offense. Now let's get to our defensive stars. And this is maybe a little bit different. We're talking about different schemes. And certainly the Seahawks have more needs on that side of the football. But who's a day three prospect that you could see becoming an immediate factor for the Seahawks and maybe someday being on that value pick list? Yeah, for me, again, it's kind of like the conversation I had or just the what, what I mentioned a moment ago with, with Deuce Vaughn. I think that you have to be a good enough player to, to be that star. And the linebacker continues to be a position of concern in my mind for this club. Um, it's the kind of position where you're, enough fans are going to be able to see what a player can do for them to become a star. I think the bigger area of concern is Seattle's defensive line, but I think you're going to see a real push for Seattle in the first couple of rounds. So. Again, a, a player who I think might be available on day three, who I think is a NFL starter in the future, in my opinion, is the Cincinnati linebacker Ivan Pace. And uh, you, you kind of talked about, um, you know, the 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 different uh, levels of uh, of defense and and competition um, that the Purdue receiver um, had to go up against. I mean, the same thing here. I mean, you're talking about with uh, with Ivan Pace, a player that began his career at Miami of Ohio, was very productive there, and then uh, in his senior season makes the the, the jump up to uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats and was absolutely unbelievable this past year. 136 tackles, 20 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks. 
Uh, it goes to the Senior Bowl, Corbin, and anybody who has seen the drills, um, that Senior Bowl executive Jim Nagy is among the people who have been kind of touting um, Ivan Pace's ability as a pass rusher. Um, on blitzes and things like of that nature. When he really gets his opportunity in space, he just has such wiggle. Um, and again, as a shorter player like Deuce Vaughn, the running back I mentioned a moment ago, um, I just think that they're both going to drop a little bit because of concerns about their size. But if you watch tape, they're both very good football players. So to me, uh, a player that I think is going to be a, a starter in the NFL and that therefore um, be somebody that's going to have an awful lot of jerseys wear, being worn. Um, Ivan Pace to me is one of the guys that I think the Seahawks fans should be paying attention to. Speaking of the senior bowl, I feel like every year there's at least one or two guys on day three that somehow got snubbed from the combine end up instant in the end. And one of those guys that I think is going to fit that bill is my selection for this. And that is Bowling Green's Carl Brooks. If you watch the senior bowl workouts, he was as impressive as any defensive lineman that entire week. And he causes so many problems. And what I love about him, and this is not, this is not meant to be a criticism of him. This is a compliment. He reminds me of a panda. He's 303 pounds he doesn't look like he would be a guy that's overly athletic. And then you turn on the film and the guy's quickness, his ability to split gaps and work around blocks. And he's so good with his hands too. He's like fighting off those bamboo stalks. I mean, this guy is phenomenal when it comes to finding ways to get into the backfield. He gets a bunch of tackles for laws. He is an underrated pass rusher that week in mobile. I don't know how he didn't get invited to combine. And I think he would have put up some pretty good testing numbers. The only concern that people really should have is that he got shorter arms, but he compensates for that because his hand technique is so good and he's tough and he's so quick. It's hard to get hands on him and keep clean blocks. And so this is a guy in this three, four defense that I could see playing at three tech that could be an absolute nightmare for opposing blockers. And he can slide outside too. He can play stand up and he looks very comfortable doing it. He can drop back in coverage. I just think he's a darn good football player that somehow didn't get invited to combine, but he put on a show at the senior bowl. And I think he's a guy that will be very high on Seattle's list as a day three target. Let's shift gears now here on our Tuesday edition of locked on Seahawks. Let's look at the defensive and outside linebacker group. And today we're going to look at the more athletic guys. Again, it's such a big group. There's so many different styles of players for us to fit all of them in in 12 minutes, we wouldn't have been able to talk about the players the way that we like to. So we're going to be looking at those more athletic, twitchy edge defenders on today's show. Tomorrow we'll look at the guys that are more pure defensive ends, have the versatility to play some inside. We will look at those players on our Wednesday episode. So let's talk first round here, Rob. This is a class that maybe isn't the best we've seen at the edge outside linebacker position yet. You could potentially have as many as three or even four players go in the first 10 picks if things fall a certain way. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, when, when you say it wasn't one of the best or it wasn't the, the best, I was like, well, it's pretty damn good. Uh, you know, <laughs> at least in my opinion, I mean, I, I think it's a terrific class. I mean, I, when you're starting off with Will Anderson, I mean, I think you can make a strong argument that he's the best player in this draft. Uh, for me, he's number two behind only his quarterback uh, at Alabama, Bryce Young, of course. Um, but Will Anderson, we, we talked so much about Anderson, talked so much about Tyree Wilson, not talked quite as much about Nolan Smith. And I do know some 
some clubs that view him as more of a possible conversion to more of an off ball, um, even inside linebacker type of a role. Uh, and then Miles Murphy, the, the, if you're watching on YouTube, then you can see a picture of Miles Murphy. He's a much bigger man. Um, he's 270 pounds than, uh, you know, than, than a Nolan Smith at, at 240, a Will Anderson at 253. Tyree, Tyree Wilson, excuse me, is, is, of course, the biggest of the bunch. I mean, he is the, the 6'7", 275-pounder uh, that we've been talking about this entire time. I, you know, I look at this group, and, and to me, I think that that's the, the likeliest of the scenarios for, for Seahawks at this point um, is taking one of these players. Um, I, I do think that Jalen Carter, I think a quarterback like Anthony Richardson might make some sense. If CJ Straub falls or not, might make some sense. But these to me are, is the, the strongest positional group. And as we talked about a moment ago, this is such a huge area of concern. So you know, the, the player that I'm going to focus on just for a moment here, again, would be Tyree Wilson, just at his size. I think that he creates so many different positions options for you but uh again we've talked about these other players a lot so um you know i'm just going to kind of pass it off to you corbin if you had a comment about any one of these players um just because again we've talked about these guys and i'm excited to talk about our day two and day three options as well yeah we're going to put most of our focus into players that maybe we haven't had as much time to talk about but i just want to reiterate that nolan smith i think that the popular narrative for fans who haven't seen him play they look at what he did at the combine and they look at his weight and they're like, that guy's just a twitchy edge rusher. He's going to get after the quarterback. But like, that yeah. was not what he did regularly when he was healthy at Georgia. The pass rushing was a little bit disappointing. Now, when it worked out, there are plays that just pop off the screen. And if you can find a way to get more consistency in that regard, then I think this guy can be an absolute star in the NFL. But what I love about him is his toughness setting the edge and he does not back down as a defensive end when he reduces inside a little bit, has to go against tackles. This is a guy that plays much bigger and much stronger than his size. He's fundamentally sound with his technique, using his hands. And so I actually think pass rush is the area that maybe I have the most question marks with him going into the NFL. The sack production and the pressure production weren't necessarily there from a consistency basis, but this guy can really get after it as a run defender. And we know the Seahawks can use anybody that can help defend the run after getting blitzed for the 31st worst run defense in the NFL last year. So that's why I think he's a player to keep an eye on for Seattle. Maybe not at five, but if they trade down a few spots, I could see him being a top 10 pick because of the athleticism and the fact that he has a lot of untapped potential rushing the passer, and he's already a very good run defender. Now let's get to our day two guys, because that's really what the focus is when we're doing these previews is we're looking at players that maybe haven't gotten quite as much attention and I know there's one in particular you want to talk about that actually met with the Seahawks today for a top 30 visit yeah BJ Ojolari um, from LSU is a player that I think is really interesting to Seattle for a lot of different reasons for one when you watch him Corbin I mean this is a, a twitched up guy he's got that initial burst he's got some bend to him he's got really long arms he also is a leader this is a young player LSU that um, was given the honor of wearing the number 18 jersey and people who are familiar with how LSU does that um, will understand that that is a sign of great great respect um only like the team captain the 
guy on uh, the entire team gets to wear number 18 and uh and bj ojulari as a underclassman um was uh, allowed to do that so to me that is i think one of the reasons why you're asking this young man to come into your building is because you want to to just see is he the the leader that everybody thinks he is and obviously he plays a position of a huge concern for seattle you, you mentioned a moment ago some players who are a little bit inconsistent in some ways i mean same thing with ojulari here um you know the production is not as consistent as you'd like but the traits are really really intriguing and you're going to bet on his heart similar to to nolan smith a moment ago um and just real quick you you made the uh the you know, the kind of comparison of a panda uh a moment ago I, i'm going to use the, another animal comparison a wolverine to nolan smith and just the ferocity with which he plays he may be small but this is a very physical player so again whether it be um a player like nolan smith who i think is absolutely a candidate for seattle maybe not five but as a trade down possibility ojulari i think is a possibility at number 20 even i i know that he would be a possibility for some clubs in the late portion of the first round and certainly on day two if he is available uh, I think that this is the type of pass rusher with the type of heart and tenacity that you're looking for. This is a good edge rusher class, Corbin, but I'd be stunned if Seattle does not wind up taking at least one of the players that we're going to highlight here over the next couple of moments. And I want to talk about a player that is a completely different style than B.J. Ojolari and plays in the same conference. And that would be Derek Hall from Auburn. Yeah. And you know, we're going to continue using animal references because that seems to be the theme of this show, but he is a grizzly bear off the edge. If you turn on the tape, this guy at 250 plus pounds, he's not the biggest edge rusher, but he absolutely torments tackles with his speed to power off the edge. And he plays such an aggressive brand of football and he loves to collapse the pocket inside out with power. He's played some really darn good tackles in the SEC and made them look silly. The issue is that he has not been able to develop the counter moves off of it that he needs to be successful consistently in the NFL. But this guy has an incredible motor plays hard every single snap. I feel like the right coaching staff gets a hold of him with his athletic traits. He put on a show at the combine. You get this guy in there who has the work ethic. He's been a captain at Auburn. So he checks off all those intangible things as well. He is a player that I actually think has a very good chance to be drafted late in the first round. And as you mentioned with Ojolari, this could be a guy for Seattle. If they're wanting to improve their run defense and they want to have a guy that's just a thorn in the side of opposing tackles, this guy gets under tackle skins just with how physical he is and how aggressive he is. Oh, no, no question about it. I mean, he is absolutely a explosive uh, and kind of agitative kind of kind of a player. Um, but if you want to talk about guys who work out, you want to talk about production, then Will McDonald, the fourth from uh, Iowa State. I mean, my goodness, this this is the guy in terms of numbers. I mean, you know, we, we, we talk so much about Will Anderson. Um, you know, Will Anderson, for all of his sacks, he had 34 and a half of them, Corbin. He had one forced fumble. That is the scariest number for me when it comes to pass rushers. One forced fumble at all that time. And we're talking about supposedly the number one player in the draft. And again, a guy I'm very, very high on. But I, I mentioned that because Will McDonald from Iowa State had 10 forced fumbles, uh, 23 sacks over the last two seasons combined. Uh, you know, th th this is a, a absolutely dynamic player. We're, we've been using these kind of animal 
comparisons here. I'm not going to use Amway, but I will say this: he, the way he is so slippery. I mean, he almost slithers around edge or about around pass blockers. Um, I mean, there is not a guy in this class who I think has more just bend to him. Um, you know, those of you who have watched, uh, you know, the you know, pro day workouts or the combine things like that, and you see them do the the hoop. When, when players have to really get down and, and show how flexible they are, how low they can get. I, I sometimes will make the comparison of like riding a street bike and the way you see people on a motorcycle corner, uh, take a, you know, take a turn. And, and this guy has that type of burst and bend that I think could be absolutely dynamic in the NFL. There, there's, I've seen some comparisons to Bruce Irvin and I, I think that there's some, you know, some legitimate le legitimacy to them. Um, I, I don't think that he is the all around kind of a guy that some of the other edge rushers we talked about, that might be what pushes him out of the first round. But I do think you're talking about a 10 plus sack guy, basically all year long. Um, and, and so that kind of guy is of course, very valuable in today's NFL. And so I think that this is another player that I think has a chance to sneak into the late portion of the first round. You mentioned how much you value forced fumbles. Staying in the Big 12, Felix NDK Uzama from Kansas State had six forced fumbles the last two years. Now, he is still somewhat raw compared to some of the players that we're talking about here. But that would excite me with a day two player, knowing that there's so much untapped potential. And this is another guy that just walks off the bus and looks like a prototypical NFL edge rusher. He's shown some flashes against the run, uh, run defense-wise, shown flashes, but he hasn't been consistent in that regard. That's going to be where he is going to have to make his biggest jump. And I think he's another player that has the physical tools and the motor to be a double-digit sack guy year in, year out, and produce a lot of fumbles. He kind of reminds me of Cliff Averill, who we know forced a lot of fumbles when he was with the Seahawks. Now let's get real quick to our day three guys, Rob. And I'm going to throw the mic back over to you real quick. Who are two names on day three that you think would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks and why when we're looking at this edge rushing group? Well, I think that, you know, the first one, I'm looking for guys who have production, um, you know, and, and so I, I would love to have mentioned some players from like big name programs. Um, but if they're big name programs, the big name athletes, I think they're going to go early. So the, the players who I think that that might make some sense for Seattle are going to be guys who have incredible statistics. And and that's certainly something that Thomas Incum uh, from Central Michigan and Jose Ramirez, who's just basically led the country in sacks, uh, you know, they had in, incredible statistics throughout uh, their their careers. Now, Incum's an interesting player. This is a guy that um you know he was born in, in the african country of ghana um and and joined football late of course um he started his uh his college career at, at a different program i'm sorry state names of, of the school is escaping me for a moment but then made that transition over to central michigan and just kind of exploded as an edge rusher he's a little bit kind of sawed off 6'2 265 pounds or so a little bit shorter than you like but he's powerful he has some real burst to him um um, I, I just think that he is a player who still has some upside to him and has also been very productive already. And then with Ramirez, I mean, this is just talking about a player who has been incredibly productive his entire time. He started his career as a highly touted prospect signing with, with the University of Arizona. 
Um, but that just kind of fell through, went to Eastern Michigan. He's just been like basically one of the most dominant players at that level the entire time. Um, we talked about Carl Brooks before, and while we were kind of surprised that he didn't get the combine invite, was not at all surprised uh, that this gentleman, that Jose, uh, got this opportunity because when you watch him on tape, this is a legitimate NFL player. And, and so, again, in, in day three, he's still going to be on the board because he is a little bit scheme specific, I suppose. But I, I do think that you're going to see why both these guys wind up being successful in the NFL as day three selections. Ramirez is one of my darlings on day three. And I don't know what it is about Eastern Michigan. We talked about Saidi Sal yesterday, the guard. <laughs> yeah. And now we're talking about another pass rusher. And oh, by the way, that is where uh, Crosby for the Raiders played his college ball. So they've actually had yeah. some decent players come out of Good Eastern point. Michigan in recent off the it's funny that I'm mentioning this because the Super Mario Brothers movie just came out and free advertising here. It's amazing. I loved it. But I feel like I'm watching a Mario Kart race when Ramirez comes flying off the edge. And I'm just waiting for him to throw a red turtle share at, red turtle <laughs> at the tackle because this guy just flies off of the edge, gets upfield, and immediately threatens tackles. And you can tell he, he gets tackles sped up. Their footwork gets sloppy. Really good bend, and the numbers he put up in the change of direction drills at the combine. Yep. This is a guy that it translates. You can see that quickness and that change of direction skill. He's undersized, not much of a run defender, but as a specialty package pass rusher, this guy could be a monster in the right scheme. And I actually really like him in Seattle's 3 4, playing one of those overhang outside linebacker spots. So he's a player that certainly makes sense. One other name that I want to mention real quick. DJ Johnson from Oregon, yeah. staying fairly local. He's a player that a lot of our listeners have been asking about. He is really raw in terms of technique. And part of the reason is he actually played tight end for a portion of his career with the Ducks. And so he hasn't had as many snaps on defense, but he had six sacks this year, a breakout senior season, ran a 4-4-9 at the combine at 260-plus pounds. He is an athletic freak. And he plays kind of like Derek Hall with the really aggressive power-oriented rushing. He's got to figure out how to use his athleticism, though, with a pass-rushing plan. And so I see him as a guy that's got a low floor but a very high ceiling. Those are the kind of players you get on day three. And I think with the right coaching, Brandon Jordan now being in Seattle as the pass-rushing coach, that might be the right fit for him to be a day three value selection that ends up panning out. For the Seahawks. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and other major podcast platforms to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Tomorrow, we'll be looking at the least valuable picks in the John Schneider era, a little bit more of a negative side of things tomorrow. And we'll continue our discussion with defensive ends and edge defenders. We'll be looking at the bigger body guys in this draft class. And there's a lot of really intriguing ones. Should be a fun discussion. Hope you'll be joining us. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.